be looking at the world's longest lasting foods. All right? Including my favorite, and maybe yours, anybody? The Twinkie? Yeah? All right? So it's like, this is where I get, this is like the slightly foolish way that I get myself in trouble. Um, we're actually going to compare Jesus with the Twinkie. Um, so we're going to hope that I survive this one. Um, you'll see why in a second. It'll make sense. Um, because Jesus is going to offer a bread that he says lasts forever. Okay? Which is longer? The Twinkie or the bread that you, you see where we're going already, right? It's okay that I do this. As long as I didn't get struck by the lightning bolt already, if it was going to happen, it would have been right there. Uh, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. As your scriptures are read, as your word is proclaimed, we would hear with joy what it is that you speak to us today. Amen. Amen. 6.30 this morning, I drive to 7-Eleven. For what? A Twinkie. This is, the sad, this is a sad moment. Okay. Well, for this, for this, not like that's, that's what I, I normally do on a Sunday morning at six thirty is eat Twinkies. Not really. Um, I used to, but those days are long gone, right? But I'm like, this is perfect. I got to go get a Twinkie. If Seven Eleven didn't have a Twinkie, like, what is, what is this world coming to? Like, if you can't get a Twinkie at Seven Eleven, where can you get one, right? Um, I was really disappointed, so I got a Pop-Tart instead, and I did eat that. <laughs> All right, but that actually has nothing to do with this. So, why my brain works like this, I read the text, the first thing I thought about was the Twinkie. Like, I, I really do like them. Does anyone like them, or am I the only one? All right, a couple people that'll admit it. Good. Like, I remember... Anyone, I was crushed when Hostess discontinued the Twinkie a few years ago. We remember that? Yeah. Most people didn't care. I was really upset. I was one of the few people then that was equally that excited when they reinstated it. But maybe it's gone again. I don't know. When I was in middle school, I used to get on my bike and ride about three miles. There's a county line liquor store over here at the corner of Lakeview and Agora Road. I used to ride my bike three, three miles like every day after school to get a Twinkie. No joke, right? In high school... This was like a vital, the vital part of my healthy, nutritious lunch when I was going to high school. I was like hoping like the state of California, you know how they count ketchup as a vegetable in school? <laughs> I was like hoping that they counted the Twinkie too, that I was getting my serving. Um, and the, so then, you know, you think, I've, I've eaten so many Twinkies that I'm just hoping that those preservatives are like preserving something on the inside of me. <laughs> my internal organs are healthier because I've been eating them. Um, so this is fun, right? They call the Twinkie, this is like, I don't know who they are, <laughs> but they call the Twinkie the cockroaches of the snack world. <laughs> Think about it. You can't get rid of them, and they're known for their long, extremely long shelf life, right? So... What I wanted to do was put the Twinkie to the test. I wanted to see, like, how does it really stack up against the world's longest-lasting foods? So this is what I did. I looked them up, and I said, anyone have a guess? World's long longest-lasting food is what, Andrew? That's an outstanding guess, and it's right up at the top of the list. Anybody else? Honey, Andrew said. Salt. Salt, I think, is the number one that I found. Um, and, but, the, but the better story is honey, okay? So this is true. Um, they found honey in an Egyptian pyramid that was carbon dated to over 3,000 years old. What? It was rated as food safe. <laughs> okay? So honey lasts a long time, right? Good job, Andrew. 
Um, and like other ones that we would already know, like pasta, potato flakes, dried fruits, beans, lentils, they lasted to about 30 years. Wow. 30 years. The Twinkie was put to the test. Now see, this could be just like fake news, so I don't know if this is actually true. <laughs> but people claim that it's true, so I'm just going to say I'm not sure if it's true or not. But someone said that there was a science teacher in 2012 that had a 30-year experiment with the Twinkie. And so in his class, he had let a Twinkie sit for 30 years, and then he decided to finally eat it. And they claimed that he ate it and said it was a little stale, but aside from that, it was perfectly fine. I don't know if it's true, all right? It may not be true. The, the, like, food of choice today is bread. That's the food of choice today in today's scripture. Store-bought bread molds in how many days? Ten. That's probably the limit, all right? Um, I might eat it longer, but most people wouldn't. Um, now, there's a thing called survival bread. Anyone know how long that bread? This is the world's longest-lasting bread. How long do you think it can last? One year in an airtight container. One year. That's the world's longest-lasting bread that I could find. All right? Jesus says that there's a bread that comes from God that lasts how long? Forever. All right? So you see what I did here, right? I'm not, I'm not in that much trouble. I'm going to get myself in trouble at the end. Trust me, we'll, I'll come back to getting myself in trouble. Um, and Jesus says that the person who eats this bread will never go hungry or thirsty again. Right? Here we go. John chapter 6, verses 24 to 35. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it's on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Anyone ever been asked a question, or if you've asked a question, anyone ever had somebody respond with something that just had nothing to do with your question? <laughs> All, right. All right, so let's try it. Someone asked me a question. Who wants to ask a question? Anyone? Any question? They can, you can insult me right now. What's the question? Uh, the Lakers are definitely going to win an NBA title. This year. <laughs> um, I don't know. My favorite color? You actually really asked me a question that I can't answer because I have no. I think there's a Twinkie color. Yeah, right. Um, but this is what this is what Jesus does. So we're all used to that. Like we ask a question and someone just and we're like scratching their head going, "What just happened?" Right. So so here we go. 
Here's the first question they ask. They say, when did you get here? And Jesus says, oh, you're looking for me because your stomachs are full. It's like, what? <laughs> that's really, that's it, okay? So, you see what I mean? And so we need a little context. We left off last week with Jesus slipping away from the crowd. The crowd was trying to take him by force to make him king. You remember this, those of us that were here. Uh, this crowd must have noticed that Jesus had missed the boat, pun intended. Come on, one person. I think that's funny. They get in their boats. They follow the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. They're trying to find Jesus again. So like by now, if we remember last week to this week, we should be starting to sense that the crowd act, they want something from Jesus, right? They want more bread is what they want. But Jesus wants to give them something that lasts longer than a 10-day loaf. So we have this issue is the tension that is created that we're trying to resolve, right? And so when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but wondering if Jesus isn't trying to raise the bar. Like, I think these people's expectations of Jesus are actually too low, not too high. They want him to produce a miracle, a miracle of bread, which you would say, well, those expectations, maybe those are a little high. They're not. This is Jesus, right? I think their expectations are actually too low, not too high. And so, like, I thought about it like this. Maybe it's almost as if Jesus wants to end world hunger, and all they want, right, is one more piece of bread. They want one piece of bread. That's what they're asking for. Give us a piece of bread like you did yesterday. And Jesus is saying, I want to do something so much bigger than give you one piece of bread. They're missing the big thing that Jesus is inviting them to. And it's like, of course, we have to ask the question, do we ever do that? Like, of course we do, you know? We want whatever it is, that immediate need. We want to have that immediate need met. And Jesus is trying to offer us so much more. Maybe our expectations can be a little low. So we get to the second question. Uh-oh. Did it screw it up? No? What do we do about it? And Jesus sort of answers it, but we'll see that he doesn't answer it in the way that they were expecting. They say, you know, what do we do about this? And Jesus says, believe in me, the one that God sent. And so the crowd they want to know exactly what is it, what should we do about this? We all want to have this kind of information. We want to know where do we put our hard work? What do we work towards? What are the things that really matter most in life? And Jesus kind of switches it on them. Jesus says it's about trust, not effort. It's about faith, not hard work. And so this is like one of the big surprises of the Christian gospel, that relationship with God isn't created by the awesome things we do. We know that, right? Right? It's not created by how hard we work. It's not brought about by hard work. The relationship with God in Christ is first about the gift of faith that God is actively working in us. Then we take that trust and we return it to Jesus. And so there's this great phrase that's attributed to so many different people. I don't know who said it. If somebody knows, let me know. But I like it. I think it fits here really well. And I see that put it there. I did. Don't just do something, stand there. This is what I thought about. We, we reverse this, right? Don't just stand there, do something. And Jesus says, no, don't do something, stand there. Like, chill out, relax. It's not about how hard you work. And so the third question is really much more of a demand, right? They ask, what sign are you going to perform for us so that we'll believe in you? Jesus, the answer is, no. 
He's not going to perform a sign. We know that when people demand a sign from Jesus, the one thing he never does is perform that sign. He'll say, the only sign you're going to get is my death and resurrection somewhere down the road, right? Here, he doesn't give them an answer. And it's like, I get the crowd's first two questions. This one bothered me a little bit. I'll tell you why. It bothers me because I think the question is forgetful, really forgetful. The crowd wants to know. They want to know what to do. Jesus says, just trust me. And then their response is like, well, if you want us to trust you, then you're going to have to prove yourself. Like, again. And again. And again. You're going to have to do something worthy of our trust. Like, come on. That's what they're doing. Like, that's a disrespectful and rude question. Like, the first two I get, but this one, it bugged me. Like, have they already forgotten what just happened? Just verses before, what's the miracle that Jesus performs? We looked at it last week. Feeding of the 5,000. This same crowd that was just fed the day before, they've already forgotten this miracle. That Jesus had fed this crowd with just five loaves and two fish. And how many, do you remember how many baskets of leftovers there were? Twelve. Okay? They've just been a part of this miracle. Have they already forgotten? But they're hungry again, right? And like us, we're already thinking about that lunch coming up. I am. And so they kind of poke the bear a little bit, telling Jesus that this is the this is fun. This, I think this is supposed to be funny. Like, come on, Jesus. Moses gave their ancestors bread from heaven that lasted a lot longer than one day. Think about what they're doing. They're like, hey, Moses did it, man. What's your problem? Like, Moses' bread, this bread went on for years and years and years, and all you got is one meal. That's what they're saying to him. It's like they want this... You know, they want Jesus to prove that he's bigger and better than Moses. They want this bigger than Moses-sized miracle, and Jesus does what he always does. He takes the spotlight off of Moses, and he shines it on God. He does this all throughout the Gospels, right? As great as Moses was, he says he didn't produce the bread from heaven. God did that. And not only did God give their ancestors the bread in the wilderness, but Jesus is saying that he's offering them this bread right then and there, this bread that comes from heaven, this is my favorite part that gives life to the world. Love that language. Now Jesus has their attention. They ask their final question. Yeah, wouldn't we ask this question too? Like, how do we get a hold of that kind of bread? They want to possess it. They want to take that bread. How do they have, how do they get it? And then the bombshell statement that we're supposed to marinate in for a while because it's so difficult to understand. Today, maybe we just sit with the idea that Jesus is the answer to humanity's deepest longings. Right? Jesus says, I am that bread that you long for, the bread that you want, the bread that you want to take, the bread that, you know, answers these deep longings that you have. Jesus says, I am. We know that I am statement. We talked a little bit about it last week. Right? Jesus kind of taking the name of God for himself. And so then the question is, what do you do? What do you do with this passage? I'm going to share a couple of thoughts. Uh, one is that I think is more of trying to avoid a common mistake. Sometimes we see this and people will kind of pit the material against the spiritual. And I think to do that in this passage would be a mistake. It would be a mistake to overly spiritualize the text because we also know that Jesus is, was, and is very concerned with feeding hungry people. We talked about this part last week. It's why 28 of us 
went to the shelter program and provided this wonderful meal on Wednesday night. It's why Frank made homemade mac and cheese, right? It's why people brought nice, fresh sliced vegetables and great desserts. It's why we put tablecloths on the tables, right? Because every human person has dignity and worth and is loved. And you start thinking about it, and I was like, all right, God loves the complaining and stubborn people of Israel. God fed them with real food. God loved the crowd of 5,000 plus. God miraculously fed them with five loaves and two fish, real food. God loved the guests that we served on Wednesday night, fed them with real food. God loves each of us here, gifts us with daily food, this sign we talked about, this sign of food that God's, of God's provision and abundance, right? So God isn't, like Jesus isn't disparaging the material. He's drawing a parallel, this analogy between himself and the bread. The bread that lasts forever, the bread that doesn't mold in 10 days, the bread that gives life, the bread that sustains the world, Jesus says, is I am. Jesus himself. And so, what's happening here? Here's, this is what I think is happening. And I admit, kind of looked at this and came up with this on my own. And I think that in the gift of food, maybe God is trying to cultivate trust. This is what I think is going on. With the gift of food, God is actually trying to cultivate trust. And so this is where I found myself when I thought about it. I found myself being challenged a little bit. And so I'm going to share a bit of the confession. I said I was going to get myself in trouble. Here it is. <laughs> I have a good friend, Rodrigo, who's a spiritual director. He meets with me and he's like, you know what? You're prophetically stubborn. That's what he calls me. He says prophetically stubborn. It's like <laughs> a fancy way of saying that I don't really like the conventional way of doing things. All right? If you say to me, that's how everybody else is doing it, or if you say to me, like, this is how it's always been done, or this is my favorite, this is the way we do things around here, you can pretty much guarantee that I will do it a different way. Right? It means I'm fine going against the flow. It means I actually enjoy pushing a few boundaries here and there that need to be pushed. I enjoy challenging the status quo with certain things. Um, and so my confession is that I don't like praying out loud before meals. There it is. I don't like it. I know. You shake your head. <laughs> but before you judge me, you got to at least hear me out, Dale. <laughs> Dale, you got to hear me out. When I was growing up, we said grace at every meal, right? It's important to give thanks for all God's good gifts. I still remember our family prayer. We said it all the time. It's really short and really sweet, and it was sincere. Dear God, for that which is set before us, let us be thankful. Amen. When I was a little kid, I liked the fact that lettuce was in the prayer. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. And then when I got older, I'm like, oh, that's not what, that's not what we were saying. Um, now, I've said that prayer a thousand times. I fully expect a phone call from my mother after she listens to this message. But the thing is, I have a feeling that I inherited my prophetic stubbornness from my mom. So she, might, she can't be too disappointed in me when she hears my, my message. But when I got a little bit older, after I was a kid, right, my prophetically stubborn kicks in, and I find myself rejecting this kind of more particular strain that says, well, I want to pray about it, but I don't want to actually feed anyone. It's pretty unfair, to be honest. Super unfair. Like, I fully admit it. But it bugged me. It's something that bothered me when I was, like, say, high school age. That really bothered me. I'm like, I don't understand. Why are, 
why would Christians pray for people who are hungry but then they don't want to feed them? So that, like, that started getting me thinking. And then you would think about like people in public restaurants, say, uh, alienating other people that Jesus is trying to reach. Because like my good friend Nick says, this is my favorite new saying, he always says that Christians make normal things weird and weird things normal. Think about that for a second. Okay? There is some real truth in that statement. And these are the kind of things that are going through my mind when I'm in high school. And I'm like, you know what? Just because everyone's doing it, I'm not going to do it. It didn't make me any less thankful for my food, but for me, I said, I want to do things differently. Right? But then, I look at the crowds. They want something to do. Jesus says, in effect, don't do anything. Just stand there. Right? And so the story reminds people like me, because I'm a doer. The story reminds people like me that all too often I want to do something and I forget to just stand there. This is where the story corrected some of my thinking. Uh, I want to solve problems. I want to find creative solutions. I want to fix things. Like I want to challenge things. Um, and Jesus says to me, just trust. That's what I'm asking you to do. Just trust. And so if food is a sign of God's provision, if it's a symbol of God's abundance, if food really does serve a greater purpose than just physical nourishment, then maybe our daily bread, including our upcoming lunch, including our time around this table, maybe that gift is designed to cultivate trust in the giver of all good gifts. This is where I ended up on this passage. Think about it. I think I'm right. Manna was given to cultivate trust, not just provide food. Jesus fed the 5,000 to cultivate trust, to cultivate a relationship Jesus is trying to do, right? And so maybe we start thinking, like, if God fed us yesterday and the day before that and the day before that, maybe God's going to feed us today. And maybe we can trust that God will feed us tomorrow. So I'm still allowed to be prophetically stubborn, all right? There's not anything really wrong with that. But when I finished this passage, it forced me to consider that maybe my upcoming lunch is actually designed to cultivate trust, to cultivate faith in me for God, the provider of all good gifts, including the food that's set in front of me. So whether I pray out loud or I pray in my own heart, I want to pay attention to this because food should never be taken for granted and neither should the food at this table, right? John's gospel is a little bit unique. This is kind of a Lord's Supper passage in John where Jesus took the bread, right? You could, Jesus took the bread. When Jesus took the bread, what did he do? What's the first, he what? What did he do before he broke? Bro? He gave thanks, right? So here's a, this is my, a reminder for me. Jesus took the bread. Who's the bread? Jesus took his own life. Think, think this through. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus took the bread. He took his life. And he gave thanks for it. He gave thanks for his life that he took up. He broke it and he gave it, right? This table, this communion meal, this bread, this cup, this is the feast that gives life. Because Jesus is here. He said, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So what do we do? Jesus asks for our trust. 
And we meet the Lord here in this place, not only in the word, but also in the sacrament. So let us enter into this sacrament in a few moments with out loud, Dale, out loud prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude. I'm good with that. Let's pray. God of grace and infinite goodness, you nourish us with the bread of life. You sustain us with the peace that sets our longing hearts at rest. God, you fill us up with kindness and overflows with love for the world. God, we ask that you would meet us here in this, at this most gracious table. Give us all the things that we need as you send us back out. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.